It's time now for the complete story with Rich Bot, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here is Rich Bot with today's complete story. Hello, friends. This is Rich Bot broadcasting to you today from Washington, D.C., where we have just observed the National Day of Prayer. The first Thursday in May was set aside by President Ronald Reagan to observe the National Day of Prayer with thousands of prayer events taking place across the United States. Thursday evening, Bot Radio Network was pleased to broadcast to you the powerful prayer event that took place in Statuary Hall of the U.S. Capitol. But the night before, Wednesday evening, there was a powerful event that took place at the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., We're going to take you there on today's Complete Story broadcast. But before we do, I'm pleased to give you a quick update on my dad, because I know many of you have been praying for his voice. This past week, dad had outpatient surgery on his vocal cords at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. And the doctor was very happy with the outcome. Turns out the doctor is a believer as well, and he enjoys many of the same Bible teaching ministries we feature on Bot Radio Network. Dad has to be on limited vocal rest for a few days, and then I know he will enjoy telling you all about it and thanking you for your prayers. We now take you to the top floor of the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., this past Wednesday evening, as the current president and chairman of the National Day of Prayer, Dr. Ronnie Floyd, the pastor of Cross Church in Springdale, Arkansas, interviews previous honorary co-chairs of the National Day of Prayer. You'll hear Pastor Greg Laurie, host of A New Beginning broadcast heard here on Bot Radio Network. You'll hear Shirley Dobson and Dr. James Dobson, host of Family Talk. Ravi Zacharias from Just Thinking. Anne Graham Lotz, host of Living in the Light and daughter of Ruth and Billy Graham. You'll hear from Pastor Steve Gaines, president of the Southern Baptist Convention and pastor of the historic Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. And from Bruce Wilkerson, former president of Walk Through the Bible and author of The Prayer of Jabez. And now we take you to the top floor of the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. This past Wednesday night, here's Dr. Ronnie Floyd, president of the National Day of Prayer. We invited back several of our former honorary chairpersons of the National Day of Prayer. In fact, we invited all of them back. But they're busy folks, and these people that decided to come back, they're busy people too. But they came back, and they're here for tonight, and most of them will be here for tomorrow. Just to once again come and understand with us that we're going to be with them in praying for our country. And so tonight what I want to do is that we're going to, we're going to be talking to them along with a couple of others, and we're going to have them come on the stage one at a time. And the reason I want to do that is just simply for us to honor them and to thank God for them. Here's my question, and I want each one of you to answer this question. As you've traveled the country, and you've spoken with so many people. I want you to really crystallize today in a sentence or two. I mean, what is your greatest burden for America today? My greatest burden for America is for this country to hear the gospel again. Hmm. You know, my friend Eric Metaxas is sitting out there, and something he put connected some dots I'd never noticed, and that was how George Whitfield, you know, an evangelist from England, 
uh, really was the spiritual father of America. More mm. people knew George Whitfield than knew George Washington. America was really born with uh, an awakening that was preceded by evangelistic preaching. And so my burden is to bring the gospel to this nation mm. using we're preoccupied with all this media, with all this stuff, using every platform to get the gospel, because I don't think most Americans have heard the gospel. Mm. Anne's father did such a masterful job for so many, many years, and we're so thankful uh, for all that he did. But no one can take Billy Graham's place, but we must carry the torch on. That's our responsibility, yeah. and then pass it on to the next generation. Thank you, Greg. Ravi? You know, I wish we could capture the moment. As dark as it is, there's more hunger that I have seen than I have than when I began 40-some years ago, Ronnie. Uh, we go into the university campuses. We are at University of Florida, such a liberal campus on a weeknight. There were 9,000 students out and people. University of Kentucky, 7,000. Michigan State, over 9,000. The basketball game suffered because many of them were attending the open forum on the search for truth and the search for God. I, my burden is this, and one of my colleagues keeps saying this to us, I wish we can believe how powerful the gospel really is to change hearts. The power of the gospel, if we could regain that, Ronnie, even in these hostile arenas, emptiness is real. They know they have no answers. Mm. And when they find that convicting truth of the gospel, yes. the power to change. They want to see something different. And in Christ alone, that is possible. I Amen. wish we could regain that burden. In our hearts. Yep. Thank you, Ravi. Wow. Aren't y'all glad you came tonight? I mean, this is good. <laughs> All right. Who, who's next about what is your greatest burden for the country? Jim? For 42 years, the passion of my heart and of my life has been the institution of the family and especially of marriage. Uh, and the reason I gave that such emphasis is because the family and marriage is the key to the next generation. You lose the institution of marriage, you lose a whole generation of kids. Mm. Uh, I doubt if there's a pastor here who has preached on, I mean, this may not be right, but preached on Malachi 15.2, where God is telling uh, men and women about the obligations to each other and and explaining there why he created marriage. I've never seen it anywhere else in the scripture. He gives this clear statement of why marriage was important. And it says, because I wanted godly offspring. Mm. You lose the family and you lose a generation of kids, and that's why I've poured my life into the preservation of the family because everything else sits on that foundation, mm. including the gospel itself. Amen. Thank you for doing that, Dr. Dobson. Greatest burden, Shirley? I'm really concerned about our young people today, particularly the millennials. Uh, they just seem so lost and, and don't really seem to want answers. I'm uh, just kind of floating through life. I was just sharing with somebody at our table that they're not stable. If they get a job, they stay there for a year, and then they move on. And and then just all the drugs and all the sleeping together. And marriage seems to be dying, and all these young people, they don't want to get married. They just want to have a, a you know fun night hookup. 
I'm really burdened for our young people. And uh, I know there's a lot of wonderful things, like you said, Ravi, that are going on in the universities. But just, I mean, I just go down to the mall and I want to cry. Those kids just seem so lost and so in la-la land. So that's my biggest burden, hmm. to reach the kids. Amen. Wonderful. Next person. Go ahead, Bruce. Just a couple of days ago, I don't know if you know this, but in South Africa, in Cape Town, there's been no rain for years, and there was no water. I mean, even hotels said you can have a half a glass of water, and they had no hope for it. And there was a man down there, a friend of mine, who called up out for a prayer of fasting and repentance, and 160,000 people came to this plane. And as they began, their repentance fell because everybody recognized God's withholding the rain because of us. And that connection was made, and the repentance was so overwhelming, and the gang leaders came forward, they repented, they embraced the whole deal, and then the floods came. Mm. I mean, floods. You should see the floods in Cape Town. And I believe... My burden is we, we almost hit the crisis. We didn't yet. We're going to. And it depends upon our response when God says this is the last crisis you're going to get. Hmm. What we'll do. Wow. Anne? Yeah, I'll follow up on that because that's very close to the burden of my heart, which I think you, you share. But it's for revival. Yeah. It's for God's people to wake up. And... Um, and I was talking to Greg earlier, member um, Gypsy Smith, old British evangelist, and he was asked, where does revival begin? And he said, I just draw a circle around myself and make sure everything in that circle is right with God. Yeah. And so if we want revival to begin in our nation, I think we have to look within first. Mm. And I remember asking mother, you know, with all of daddy's meetings and the stadiums that were packed and Things like you do, Greg, just but almost common, you know, and television and radio and so many people come. Why are we worse off? Mm. You know, why is the nation worse? And um, and she made the comment, just going back to what Bruce said, oh, we're not desperate enough yet. Mm. So, you know, you think after 9-11, yeah. that would make you desperate. And I remember Dr. Henry Blackaby saying, if that doesn't wake us up, what will it take? Sure. So I'm almost... Um, you know, there's a part of me that's very apprehensive of something really, really bad coming. Because, But at the same time, I want to be um, proactive because when it happens, I don't want to be caught flat-footed. I want to be ready. Mm. I can't do it like Greg does it, but I can share the gospel. I can do the work sure. of the, you do work a of the evangelist. No. <laughs> but, so, so I want people to be saved, but I guess my biggest burden is for saved people to act like it and live like it and for them to get out there and share the gospel. Amen. So. No doubt about it. Steve, what about you? What is your greatest burden in the country? I appreciate the emphasis a moment ago on George Whitfield. I was just in Augusta and went to Bethesda where his uh, orphanage was begun in 1740. He came over the Wesleys and all that. Mm -hmm. And uh, Whitfield was a great man, great revival prior to the Revolutionary War. But he became friends with Benjamin Franklin, and Benjamin Franklin was not a born-again Christian. Benjamin Franklin was a deist. He believed in a God that just was impersonal. And uh, Thomas Jefferson uh, was a younger man. He was not a Christian. He was not a born-again Christian. He had his own Bible. He 
literally cut out all of the miracles and only mm-hmm. had the moral teachings of Jesus. Thomas Paine and uh, Ethan Allen were not Christians. They were they were pretty her- heretical. Mm-hmm. But the deal is, they got all that from French rationalism. They got all that from the French. And the French helped us in the war, win the war, but they helped us lose our faith in Christianity. And by the 1800s, America was teetering on going basically away from Christianity. But a revival broke out at Yale University and also uh, in the uh, West Tennessee, Western Kentucky uh, area with a bunch of farmers. Hmm. And God saved a lot of people at the, yeah, at the most horrendous time. But I think, the reason I say all that, I'm not trying to be a historian here, I believe that's exactly spiritually where we are. I think we're turning away from God. We don't even know how to have Boy Scouts anymore or Girl Scouts. We, we, don't, we don't know anything. We're, we, we're so confused with gender and everything else. And I'm just telling you that it is the same climate that there was right. at the end of the 1700s, the early 1800s, yet God. Amen. Yet God. He moved in with power and anointing. And what we've got, we've got to get back to a supernatural God that saves people, delivers people, sets people free. And we have got, we have got to get God back in our churches. I want him in our schools. Yeah. I want him in our government, but I want God back in our churches. Amen. That's what I want. No because doubt. that's the missing, that's the missing. <laughs> that's element. right. Amen, Steve. And we share that burden. No question about it. Well, listen, in our last uh, 10 to 15 minutes, we're going to just talk about uh, asking you an individual question. Someone or some that I've just designed just for you. And it's, and Bruce, I want to start with you. You know, your best-selling book, The Prayer Jabez, was released in the year 2000. It influenced so many of our lives, and it still does. Now on this side of your life, knowing what you know today, after so much blessing, what is one thing about prayer that you really wish today's American Christians would know? God has objectives and goals that are in his heart, and he partners with people. And when we beg God to let us do more for him and to change anything he wants to in our life so that we can receive the answer to that prayer, he will answer that. There, as D.L. Moody said, there is no limit to what God will do through a man or woman if that is what their heart wants. And I've learned that so many times. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Ravi, you've spoken to elite thinkers, cultural influencers, universities all over the world. And I, I just really once again want to thank you for standing in the gap for all of us. And from your perspective, What should the church in America do in order to reach our generation with the gospel more effectively? May I just say two things right off the top, and that is this. The first thing is what Jim has already referred to. We have to raise our children to learn how to think. Most people don't know how to think anymore. Uh, I have a six-year-old grandson. His mother, my daughter, Naomi, asked him a question the other day, and he began with these words. He said, Mom, my hypothesis is this. (laughs) And when a six-year-old uses the word hypothesis, uh, it it draws your attention. (laughs) I don't know where he gets his vocabulary from, frankly. He doesn't get it from me. (laughs) I travel so much. But we have taken away the ability to read 
and used their God-given imagination and replaced it with the visual which circumscribes their imagination. Mm. Truth is primarily a property of propositions and then truth can be experienced. And on, the Bible doesn't say in the beginning was video. As wonderful as video is, it says in the beginning was the word. God gave us a book. Amen. And what Augustine said is those who have not traveled have only read one page. I strongly believe, listen, get around the world and listen to people, hear what they're saying. But most importantly, teach them how to think. Because they are the ones who are going to be the salt on the campuses, not so much somebody coming onto a platform. They're going to be the salt and light where yeah. they are. The second thing. Archbishop Donald Cogan said the longest journey in life is between the head and the heart. And Ronnie, one of the biggest concerns I have when I answer questions of young Christian kids who are struggling with their faith, they've got all these questions. And I think to myself, have you ever experienced God in your life? Mm. Have you experienced that indwelling presence? I came to know the Lord on a bed of suicide when I was 17. No argument is going to knock that out of me because I had an encounter with the living God. Amen. And so many of our young people today who are struggling with questions, the question in my mind is, have you ever had an encounter with the Lord himself? Yes. So much is talked about theoretically, very little is responded to in practical submission. Mm -hmm. So the two things I would say is teach our children how to think, plant them into these places. Number two, to learn to build the bridge between the head and the heart. Once you've covered that journey, you're not going to be merely cerebral or merely existential. You've bridged the, the, the gap between thought and life. And as you think in your heart, so you are going to be. <laughs> Very powerful. <Yep>. Wow. <laughs> Tremendous word. Steve, I want to go to you. Um, in June, you will complete your two-year presidency in the Southern Baptist Convention. And now, generally speaking, I assume that you have witnessed in our churches is also similar to what has happening in churches all over America, perhaps in other denominations. But here's my question for you. From all of this, what must the church do? What must the church do in order to experience the next great move of God in America? I think that we have got to let our churches be a house of prayer that sounds so simple but what the lord has been teaching me we need to live under an open heaven i have a picture of israelites camping in the wilderness as you go into my office and there's that beautiful fire coming above the tabernacle and above that there's an open heaven jesus had an open heaven and while but the bible says in luke the reason he did he was praying at his baptism hmm. prayer opens the windows of heaven and uh, I believe that the Lord spoke then, the, Lord, the Spirit came. The Holy Spirit does not anoint prayerless people. Prayerless. What good is a prayerless conservative? What good is a prayerless <laughs> preacher? What good is a prayerless anything? What is good is a prayerless church or a prayerless ministry? Prayer is where the, it, it's what opens heaven. I'm just praying that we will genuinely enter into really being people of prayer and live under an open heaven. Amen. Greg, what is the most on your heart tonight about America? What is one thing that you really desire to happen in this country? Well, certainly a spiritual awakening. You know, to me, it seems that revival is for the church 
but the nation needs, needs an awakening. I like what Ann said earlier, uh, the quote from Gypsy Smith. You know, revival, I think we overly mystify the word. You know, you could use another word, restoration. I have a friend sitting out here, Barry McGuire, and he likes old classic cars. I do too. And you see a beautifully restored car driving down the road like a 57 Chevy Bella or something like that. You think, man, that's beautiful, right? And that's just a restored car. So we need a restored church. And it's coming back to what Steve was saying. You know, we need the church today to be as close as the church of the first century was. You know, they reached their world in, in a relatively short time using the tech of the day, the Roman road system, and a common language, Greek. Today we have many other social media platforms, but you know, Paul didn't have a Facebook page, Thomas didn't tweet, right? But today we, we have all these platforms, but my point is the church needs a revival, and really it starts with me. You know, we're in Washington, D.C., and we think, well, these politicians aren't doing their job right, and the problem is in the White House. Effectively, in Second Chronicles 7.14, God says, the problem is in my house. He says, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. God says, I'm talking to you. That's you. That's me. That's us. Revival starts with us, but then an awakening is what America needs. So I don't think we can organize a revival. I think we can agonize for it in prayer and call on God for it. But the one thing we can do for God right now is just preach the gospel. So that's our commission and my passion. I want to use the time that God has given me to bring the gospel to as many people as I can. That's my burden. Amen. Thank you for your commitment. Shirley, let me ask you, each of us are here tonight really touched many times by all you've done through the National Day of Prayer. But I want you to just take a moment tonight and share with people why it's so important that we maintain and we forward and support the National Day of Prayer. Why is it so important? Because we need everyone to understand how important it is. It is very important. Psalms 33:12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And I feel like National Day of Prayer is standing in the gap for this nation. I believe God is staying his judgment on America. There are many prayer gatherings all across the nation at different times, but National Day of Prayer is specifically uh, geared to pray for our nation, for its protection, for revival, for our leaders, and uh, both the federal, state, and local leaders. And it's incredibly important. And, um, you know, can I just give a little commercial here? I have to tell you that prayer is hard to raise money for because you can't see it. People like to give to buildings. They like to give to programs. They like to give to things they can see. But it's very hard to raise money for prayer. And yet prayer is the front line of defense, not only for our country, but for our families. And so I just want to encourage you uh, to support our nation's day of prayer, the National Day of Prayer Task Force, because they, they work very hard. And this ministry is critical. We could never get a day of prayer through our Congress today. You know that. There's no way. But we have this day signed by both houses of Congress and by President Reagan that the first Thursday of May would be our nation's day of prayer. 
So I just uh, thank you all for coming and uh, encourage you in your sphere of influence to do as much as you can to support our National Day of Prayer. Thank you, Shirley. Jim Dobson, God's blessed you so much and favored you with his grace. I think he's raised you up in the last 100 years to be one of the greatest leaders in this nation. And in the second half of your life, you could be in the fourth quarter. I don't know. Maybe you're going to go a lot longer. Only God knows. And we pray you do. But what is your life really want in this season for God to do in America? My, my heart cry um, may uh, take us off target here. And some may not even fully understand it. But we have a disease in this country that is killing us. And it's the disease of pornography. It is absolutely undermining the sexual relationship of marriage. It is affecting kids 13 years of age, boys especially, who get hooked on it and it holds them in bondage till they're 70, 80 years of age. It is unbelievable what is uh, taking place. And uh, I, I, I firmly believe that if we don't get a handle on this and do it through prayer, uh, it's going to destroy this nation. So while we're praying about revival, and maybe that is the answer to the pornography problem too, but we better not forget to pray about this great sin mm. that's in the church. I hate yeah. to tell you that, mm. but I believe it's why most pastors won't talk about it mm. because they look out there and they know and they can see it. Mm. And I pray that we will make this a priority in our prayer life. Mm. Thank you. And Graham Lotz, in view of your dad's recent death, and having reviewed so much of your dad's life over these last days and his influence globally, what, what is it that God has so put on your heart from, from him, what he's told you, when you think about our country, you think about what he's put in your heart. I mean, and I want to just once again affirm to you, you, you were fantastic at your dad's funeral. Yes. God used you so powerfully. And um, so share with us something there. You know, I'm going to be honest with you, Ronnie. Um, I, I came home from daddy's service and got very sick for three weeks. And then I've had other pressures and deadlines and I haven't had time to process it yet. Mm. But, um, but I know, I know that I know that I know I want to pick up the baton. Mm. I know that I feel like when he went to heaven, then I'm praying every single one of us will have the burden that Greg's talking about. And I don't, I'm not a gifted evangelist, and I think there is a, I mean, you're, you're a gifted evangelist, Daddy was, but I can do the work of an evangelist. I can share the gospel, you know, and, and I, want to, I want to do that to the best of my ability. And Daddy was, um, one of the things that set him apart, and, and Greg would know this, he um, was an authentic man of God. He didn't care about, you know, who he was seen with. He wasn't trying to make a name for himself. He didn't want to be a celebrity. He, uh, all of those things that sometimes we see, Right. Christian leaders uh, vying for today that just, you know, my daddy, he, he was a genuine man of God who walked with God, who loved the gospel, Amen. whose heart was just broken mm. to reach people with mm. the gospel. And so, um, so while I haven't even 
begun really to, um, I mean, I, I grieve because there's an empty feeling, but I haven't had time to process it yet. But I know that deep within me is a strong compulsion to um, not only myself be faithful, to do the work of an evangelist, and to, um, in fact, I said at the funeral, you know, that, uh, that I wanted to do the work of an evangelist and live my life so that, you know, I'd finish my race and exalt Jesus. And um, I feel like that's something each one of us can do. We can take that from Timothy. But I also believe, and I told Daddy mm -hmm. this, you know, for years I've told Daddy this, that, um, and he actually, well, I won't say they agreed, but, um, but we talked about it and he affirmed to me that, that when he went to heaven, then the gospel would be preached to the whole world one more time. And it was. You know, through all of the media and the videos, I had a friend who called me from South Africa, and it was running 24-7 on their <laughs> national television station, His, the, the Sirius uh, station. People were watching, listening to Billy Graham. People who didn't even know him were, were searching for who he was and reading it on the Internet. And the gospel was once again being preached to the whole world. And Amen. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, mm. when the gospel is preached to all nations, it didn't say everybody would hear it, didn't say there'd be a Bible in every language. When the gospel is preached in the whole world, then the end would come. That's right. So when you put all of this together and talk about the dark hour and the things that would make us desperate, and, you know, you just wonder if any day we're going to hear the trumpet blow. So I, I live my life looking up and uh, believing Jesus is coming any moment. And I want to finish the work that he's given me to do. And I believe part of that is picking up the baton that daddy, he didn't drop it. He's just passed it. Yeah. And I, want to, I want to grip that baton and run my race. You've been listening to a special broadcast of The Complete Story. This is Rich Bott, and uh, we've come to you from Washington, D.C. at the National Day of Prayer. That was Wednesday night, just the night before the National Day of Prayer. Uh, my dad is going to be back on the air with us soon. Uh, he's just recovering from this throat surgery, and we're so thankful for the good surgeons and the care that he got at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. The listener comment line is 1-800-345-2621. We'd love to hear from you. Again, the listener comment comment line is 1-800-345-2621. Thank you for listening. This is Rich Bott with this edition of The Complete Story.